Good morning. Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all you dads again. You know, as I was thinking about Father's Day and, you know, being a dad and the importance of being a dad to my children, and I know that there are a lot of us who grew up without a father. Um, it's not uncommon, at least 50% of the children grow up in divided families, and a lot of them don't have a father on a regular basis. And, and that has been one of the consistent, I guess you would say, things that are involved with a lot of um, problems with children that get into crime and into those things is the absence of a father. They have found that besides social and economical levels, the consistent thing they see in all these areas is the lack of a father and the importance that role is supposed to be. And it's a, a tragic thing that it's unusual. Now, if you have a dad and if you are a dad and are there involved with your family, know that you are taking an important place in your family and in your kids' lives. And from the father's perspective, I have learned more about who God is and the heart of God by being a father than just about by anything else. Being a father has opened my eyes to so many things that I just could not have learned any other way except by taking that role. And it's not always an easy thing. It's a very difficult thing sometimes, but it is a good thing. And so all you dads, kudos to you. Stick with it. Otherwise, they'll get you. Um, it, it's, I can't tell you how important that is. And to be engaged. You know, it's kind of funny. For Mother's Day, what usually happens is the moms all say, come on, kids, come to church with me. Okay, mom, we go to church. Father's Day, it's usually, can I sleep in today? No. Uh, but dads, I encourage you to be engaged, and I know that's not the case with you dads, because you're here, so again, thumbs up to all you dads who are here. Um, but I encourage you to be engaged in your family and with your kids. You have no idea how important. Maybe you do, but it is so important. Okay. If you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Ecclesiastes. If you don't, raise your hand and we'll get you one. Uh-oh, that's not a good sign. The book of Ecclesiastes. You know, as we've been going through this series, it's been kind of interesting. You know, the first week we talked about just how meaningless life is, and then last week... We talked about how meaningless life is, and today we're going to talk about how meaningless life is. So I'm figuring by the time I'm done with this book, you'll be so glad to be done. <laughs> like, oh boy, give us something with meaning. But actually, this study is so relevant to who we are as people, and the idea of meaningless and trying to find meaning is something that I think consumes our thoughts and our minds. Last week we talked about Solomon and this kind of trilogy that he set about wisdom, about madness and folly or foolishness, and we talked about how those roles played out. We looked at that madness being excess, you know, that it wasn't just he was crazy, he was like a mad scientist, it meant that he just w went overboard. 
he had 700 wives. It's like, are you mad? What's wrong with you? And we talked about wisdom and the right displacement of wisdom, that wisdom isn't just knowing things, but wisdom is a combination of actually three things. It's a combination of knowing the right thing, being committed to doing the right thing, and being committed to doing it in the right way. That those things all play a part in wisdom. And we saw how Solomon had lacked that aspect of wisdom. He had the knowledge aspect of it, but he really didn't know how to present it in his life in the right way. And we're going to continue in his journey in chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to look at how Solomon continues to just try and find his place with all his wealth, with all these things that he has at his disposal. We, we've talked about his viewpoint is that under the sun. In other words, this is something that happens just in the world, but there is an absence, if you will, of uh, recognition of who God is. All throughout the 40 times or so that he uses the name of the Lord, it's that name Elohim, which is a distant God. It was a God who was a creator. It wasn't Jehovah or Yahweh, the Lord, our God. He was dealing with God basically like a deist, as a God who is there but does not have this intimate role in my life. And so from this perspective, he's moving forward and trying to find out purpose and meaning. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, we start off and it says, I thought in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom, guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. We stop right there. You can see, man, okay, yeah, I'm feeling the joy here. I mean, there is this cloud that is sitting over Solomon. And basically, we're, we're kind of unfolding his tour of his life. As he takes us on this tour to kind of look at where he's at, he, he tells us that he's testing his heart. He, he says that I'm going to test you, and he tests the heart with pleasure, with laughter, wine, trying to find out what is good. And so that we wouldn't think that he's just, you know, some hardy, hardy guy who just, woohoo doesn't care. He says, I'm still guided with my mind. In other words, I'm still doing this with a purpose. I'm, I'm trying to find something. And I'm trying to find it in these areas. Well, I thought maybe the laughter, and I thought maybe just kind of the, the wine and just having this kind of a good time. Maybe, maybe I can find this purpose in my life. He goes on and he tells us that there's you know, wanting to see what's worthwhile. And then he says, in the few days that we have of life. It's not years. He's now, again, at the place where his future is shorter than the memories of his past. And as you look back, he starts saying, you know, what's worthwhile in the few days that we have on this life, of this life? And it's, I don't know what it is. People have always told me that when you get older, time goes faster. Has anyone found that to be true? What's with that? 
It just, it happens. When I was a kid, summers were forever. I used to actually think summers were six months and school was six months. Just because I didn't, I was stupid actually, you know, but <laughs> it just seemed to last forever. And now the years go by so quick. And we can see and, and understand when Solomon says this thing, I wanted to see what is worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I think we get a sense of what that means. I understand what you're feeling. I'm, I'm in my 50s now and oh my gosh, how did I get this old so quick? And why is it going so much quicker? And it does seem like a vapor. It does go by so quickly. Verse 4, he says, I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water, to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. You know, at first glance, it seems as if Solomon is just kind of trying a little bit of everything. He's just kind of shotgunning life, hoping he's going to hit something. But we really see that there is a purpose, and he men he's mentions it twice, that he is guided with wisdom in this. And so he, he's doing all these things, not just because, well, I just want to do whatever I want, but he's trying to find something. And it tells us that he's trying to find pleasure. And underneath this umbrella of pleasure, we see some of the things that he did. He talks about his accomplishments and the things that he did, how he took on great projects, built houses for himself, planted vineyards. And so we see that in these projects, he's kind of trying to find accomplishments or meaning in those accomplishments or in his success of those things. He talks then about how he had so many slaves, male, female, and slaves born in his household. And so we think, well, he's trying to find meaning and power, having this power of people serving underneath him. He talks then about his livestock and the silver and gold and the wealth that he had more than anyone before him. And so he's trying to find meaning in this prosperity, in this wealth. Then he talks about how he had singers he had people who were singing, so we see that there's this cultural aspect to him too, that he's trying to be engaged in culture and being artistic in some elements, trying to find meaning in those things. And then he talks about how he has a harem, and he's talking about sensuality and trying to find meaning in sensuality. And he says he denied himself nothing his eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And you hear those words and you think, what if I was able to do that? 
What if I had the ability, like Solomon, to go after whatever I wanted? And the truth is, for some, that's the goal. That's why I'm going to work, so I can get whatever I want. And that's why I play the lottery, so that I can get millions, and then I can do whatever I want quicker, faster, and with more gusto. And so there is this recognition that Solomon was doing what most people never have the opportunity to do. And so Solomon is trying to to disclose to us what this journey has looked like for him. This journey of prosperity and wealth, and he's moving into all these areas, and, and it seems that he's trying to find, as he says he's guided with wisdom, what is he getting at? It seems that he's trying to say, maybe I can find meaning if I just get enough. Enough of whatever it is I feel that I need. And this idea of pleasure is talking about all these things. The success, the wealth, the culture, the power, the sensuality. Maybe if I just had enough of all these things. And so I'm going to try and get as much as you can of each of these things so that I can have enough. Maybe the key to life is to get all that you can so that you will be satisfied. And of course we see that he's not. You know, maybe I just need a little bit more. I wonder how many of us have that mindset. Maybe if I could just get a little bit more. I I just need a better car, a newer car. I just need a a better paying job. You know, I I just need a nicer house. I just need a nicer boyfriend, a nicer dog. You know, I mean, I just need more of whatever it is and a little better of these things. If I just had that promotion, I'd be happy. If I just had a car that didn't break down so often, then my life would be okay. If I just had, you know, a handsomer boyfriend, then, you know, everyone would respect me. I don't know. And we just want more. And when is enough enough? I was thinking back and trying to think of what are some examples where it seems like it was just never enough. And I don't know if you guys remember the original Nintendo. You remember the original Nintendo where you had to blow on the cartridges to get them to work? Not that I knew because of that. You know, I just watched my kids. Uh, I remember when the kids got Nintendo, I forget how old they were, but they got it and it was the best thing in the world. They were playing Mario Brothers, you know, all those things. And of course, I had to see what these games were about and I got in on it. And I remember, you know, I'd be up, I have to beat the system, it'd be four in the morning and I'd be sitting there like that. I remember my wife walking in on me and there I am and she goes, what are you doing? My eyes look at her, I got zeros, you know. And I just like, leave me alone. I gotta beat this level, leave me alone. (laughs) And then Sega came out and Sonic the Hedgehog. How many of you guys had Sega? You had to have Sega because Nintendo just, it wasn't the same. 
But then came PlayStation. Okay? How many had PlayStation? Talking about the first one, the white one, right? PlayStation 1. Okay. Then came PlayStation 2, right? See those hands? Xbox. Okay. (laughs) PlayStation 3. Xbox 360. Connect. I rest my case. It's, I can always have more. I can always get more. And it's still the same thing. I forget what game. My son came home and I have Xbox. Well, actually, they have Xbox, but I get to play it. And they had Xbox, and I was playing this game, and it was, again, 3 in the morning. And there I am playing this game, and my wife comes in again. What are you doing? <laughs> Leave me alone. <laughs> the fate of the free world rests in my hands, woman. <laughs> you know, and we always just need a little bit more, a little bit more. I need a little bit more air. Did you guys warm right now? <laughs> Thanks, Gil. Just, we need a little bit more. It wasn't enough. And if I get a better game, and if I get a better game, and if I get a better game, and it's going to just keep going on and on and on. And you'll spend money and money, and you'll get the PlayStation 4, you know, Xbox 720 or whatever it comes out next. You know, you're going to want the next thing because... You always want that next rush. You always want that next adrenaline push. Nothing seems to satisfy. And so Solomon has done a social experiment for us so that we see that even when he had everything, he felt as if he had nothing. And I wonder if we can pause long enough to get that sensation to stop the madness, to stop the racing, stop the keeping busy, stop trying to fill our lives, pause and say, do I have enough? Do I feel like I have something of substance? And I wonder if we don't, like Solomon, think, this is just meaningless. I need and I want more. I I don't have all the things that I want. If only I had whatever it was. I don't know if you guys remember that old Lay's potato chip commercial, No One Can Eat Just One. Do you guys remember that? Wow, we're real old, aren't we? That was a long time ago. No one can eat just one. And we used to buy a bag of Lay's potato chips just because we wanted to see if we could eat just one. Of course, you can't. That's why you buy a whole bag. You know, they don't sell one chip. (laughs) And it was great marketing, but really what they were that they were kind of tapping into wasn't the power of the chip. What they were tapping into was our need to consume. Our need for greed. And we live in that society, don't we? I mean, we've got super size, go big, big gulp, super gulp, super big gulp, (laughs) trash can gulp, bathtub gulp. And we just want more and more and more. And I mean, I, I remember when 32 ounces was, man, 32 ounces, that's huge. Now they got 64 ounces. That's twice as big as huge. <laughs> and we're just a society that has got this idea of consuming. You go to the restaurants. 
And I don't know if you guys have ever been to Cheesecake Factory. They have a menu that you need a tour guide to go through that menu. It's like 12 pages. And then you order something and you get three sides. Do you want baked potato, mashed potato, steak potatoes, french fries, rice, vegetables, sweet potatoes? It's like, how many options do you have? Well, I just want as many as I can get. Claim jumper that chocolate cake. When is enough enough? <laughs> it's 10 layers. But we are a society that has this idea of consumption. We live in a world of indulgence. And we all just want more of whatever it is we want more of. But again, the question is, when is it enough? When will we be satisfied? And I think that's the question we need to come out of these, this journey of Solomon is, when will we be satisfied? Consumption, that's not a word that we use a lot. It used to be used in the old movies. Remember, he's got the consumption. <laughs> you know, and there he is. He's dying because he's got the consumption. And looking back, it was down in the Greek times where this word was used, and it was used to describe a disease that we really don't know what it was. It just meant these people were dying from it. And you knew they had the consumption because they were going to die because basically it was consuming their life. And then in the Middle Ages, you know, the Shakespearean time, we see consumption kind of got connected to tuberculosis, where you would cough, and if they coughed up blood, he's got the consumption. And the idea is it's just consuming you. And I think we have this consumption mentality about love, life. We just want to consume, we want to consume, we want to consume. And it doesn't matter how much we consume, it is never enough. And we are never satisfied. We, we move forward in this way, just kind of denying ourselves nothing, refusing our hearts nothing, and yet finding ourselves with nothing. How do you explain that we are a, a society with the greatest wealth in human history, and yet we have runaway depression? We are the children of Solomon. We deny ourselves nothing, but we have nothing. But we want to pursue more because we think the more will satisfy us. And so we consume and we consume and we consume and have nothing to show for it. And I was thinking about so many of the things that we see and it just makes us wonder. You know, what is it that would make Tiger Woods look for someone else? He's married to some European supermodel. Isn't that enough, Tiger Woods? Or Jesse James to cheat on Sandra Bullock. I mean, she's America's sweetheart. Is it really just sex? Or is it this idea of just, I want more? And I'm just going to feed the machine. And so it's not really about just the specifics. It's about the attitude and this idea of consumption. And it permeates our society in every aspect. And so we will cheat to get more. We will 
step on people to, to elevate ourselves in our position, to get that place. And we, we want the more. We don't really think about what the more is going to do for us. We just think it's going to be enough. If I just get more, if I just had that other girl on the side, if I just had that other car and you fill in the blanks, whatever it is, I just want more. If I got that, then I would be satisfied. I would find my meaning and I could just stop. But it doesn't stop. How many people kill themselves at work and they don't know why? It's to get more. What do you want more for? I don't know. I just want to be able to do whatever I want. What do you want to do? I don't know. But I want to be able to do it when I get there. And Solomon got there and he did all the things that he wanted and he found himself empty. And, and we see this in there. I mean, just look at the, the pronouns throughout this chapter. I thought in my heart, it's a pretty good start. Come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is foolish. What does it Pleasure, what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine, embracing folly. My mind still guided me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. I undertook great projects. I built houses, here it is, for myself. I did this for me. What a tragedy. Solomon this incredible wisdom, this incredible ability to acquire wealth and prosperity, and instead of using that prosperity to build a kingdom that would help the nation, he instead built houses for himself. It was all about what he could get for himself. And we start to find out that our hearts are like a black hole that you can just pour in and pour in and pour in and it never fills up. And Solomon is going through this and it's all about him. Verse 5, I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves and flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. I amassed silver and gold for myself. In the treasure of kings and providence, I acquired men and women singers and a harem, as well as delights of the heart for man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. It all, it's all going towards me. It's all about me. And it's consuming him. How much is enough, Solomon? When will you have enough? All this is done for yourself. And if Solomon would have only remembered his own words, because he wrote in the book of Proverbs 27:20, death and destruction are never satisfied and neither are the eyes of man. Solomon, don't you remember? You had insight at one time when you said, you know, the eyes of man are never satisfied. Just like death and destruction, it just keeps going and going. The eyes of man 
are the same way. They will lead to his own death, his own destruction, because they are not satisfied. And I wonder if we can gain insight from Solomon or if we will try and run the same race that he ran, but not as effective. Let's face it, none of us are going to be as wealthy and as successful and as powerful and as just domineering as Solomon was. None of us are going to be kings unless we move to our own island and, and make it our own kingdom. And then you'll be alone. So, you know, none of us are going to be where Solomon was. But we all want to get there. We all keep trying to, to fill the hole. And we don't learn from Solomon's words that I amassed all this for myself. I denied myself no pleasure. And I was empty. It was meaningless. The tragedy over Solomon's life is that he had the greatest potential to do the most good for the nation. But he just used it and consumed it on himself. can guarantee that if you want to live a meaningless life, make it about yourself. As we acknowledge Father's Day, and I, I think of the fathers I have had who have not been a part of my life. And I think myself now, being a dad, what it would be to not be a part of my children's life. What if, you know, it was too rough? There were some rough years when the kids were small. And what if I just said, forget it. This is too much work. You know, I go and I work all these hours. I come home and the kids are crying and they're demanding and the wife's not happy because the kids are crying. And, you know, I'm doing all I can, but it's not enough. Forget it. I'm going to go... Find me a girlfriend and we're going to go move down to, you know, Las Vegas or Hawaii, you know, whatever. I'm just going to check out. I'm going to leave it behind. I'm going to go start anew. Would my life be richer or poorer? Would I be standing here today and my kids now are grown and not be able to see their lives? Would my son call me from a platform out in the Gulf and wish me a happy Father's Day and talk to me for an hour about all the things going on in his life and be able to have that kind of relationship and dialogue? I would be much poorer of a person if I would have just taken the easy way just for myself. And the sacrifice that we make for others ends up being a reward for ourselves. If you give of yourself, especially to your children, to your family, you're the one who will be rewarded from that. But we live in a society that just wants to please ourselves. And this isn't just something that happens, oh, those, that's what happens to those people who aren't Christians. That's how they are. No, this happens to those who are in the church who call themselves by the name of Christ. Let's not fool ourselves. I mean, this whole prosperity doctrine, you know, God wants to get you and give you what 
he wants and you should, whatever you think and whatever you want, you're a king's kid and you should amass for yourself these things. It's like, you're just being like Solomon. What, what's this about? Is that really your goal? Is that really your purpose? What about Jesus' words? It's more blessed to give than to receive. And I, I think, you know, it would be a good thing to, to look at those things and see what Jesus has to say on this. In fact, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus talked about this exact thing. And so it would be good to listen to him, what he has to say. Starting at verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. I think this is funny. Things never change. You know, it's, it's in these family inheritances. I've seen more families divided instead of grieving, they're being greedy because they're arguing about the inheritance and they want their share. Well, I want the house. I want this. I want that. And how many families are divided because they're more concerned about the greed than they are the grief? And I love Jesus' reply to them in 14. Man, who pointed me a judge or an arbitrator between you? I've got that one underlined for when people ask me things. Man, who pointed me judge or arbitrator? It's kind of funny, but they come to Jesus. Jesus, give me what I want. He says, who made me an arbitrator over you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See anything similar to what Solomon was going through? And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm going to make more. I know I've got barns, but I'm going to make bigger barns. I'm going to amass more for myself so I can relax. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be de demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself. That was one of Solomon's problems. He was worried about, after I get all this, I'm going to end up leaving it to someone who didn't work for it. Who's going to get it when you're gone? Verse 21, he says, This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. When Jesus said to his, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you, are, how much more valuable you are than birds? Who of you worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. Notice this verse. 
For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. He says that the pagan world runs after such things. Now, we tend to think, well, the pagan world, that's those who don't believe like we believe. Those are the pagans because they don't have the same belief. We believe in Jesus. They don't. They're pagans. But what Jesus is saying is the pagans are the ones who have this mindset that try to accumulate for themselves, that they live for the stuff. That's The pagan is living apart from the realization of who God is and God's influence in their lives. That's what the pagan world does. So there are many people who find themselves in the church but are living like the pagan world because their life is still just about consuming. It's about the stuff. Oh, I believe in Jesus, but I want the stuff. And I'll lie, cheat, steal, or do whatever I have to do to get the stuff. I'll compromise. I'll I'll make my priorities, switch them around to get what I want. I will do what I want to get the stuff. And Jesus is saying, it's like the pagan world. You're living as if God has no influence. And, And what he's saying here isn't that, well, first seek God and then you can seek the stuff. He's saying, seek God and let God take care of the things that you need. There's nothing wrong with success. There's nothing wrong with having good things. But is that what your life is seeking? Is that the direction of your life? It's about the stuff. I want to consume and consume and consume. It's like that old adage, it's not about how many things you have, but about how many things have you. You know, there's always going to be someone who has more. doesn't matter. More of something. You might have the most wealth. But someone else has more power. And they might have the most power, but someone else has more fame. And they might have the most fame, but someone else has more friends. There's always someone who has more. And you will always find yourself trying to get what someone else has if you are thinking like the pagan world. I just want to have what they have. You know, it's funny to see this in the sports world. You know, so-and-so makes 3.7 million, but they're not happy because this other guy makes 3.9 million. How much is enough? And we see it in every aspect of our society. I'm counseling this one young couple about to get married. And as I was going over these things, I I shared with them, you know what? If you guys want a happy and successful marriage, you have to think beyond yourself. Because if you just live to try and get the things that you want to make your life better, even though it's together, it will be the same thing. You'll get into this consuming mentality where pretty soon you find yourselves very wrapped up in all the things. And you got to get the house, and you got to get the car, and you got to get the furniture, and you got to get the clothes, and you got to get the new TV because the LED is so much thinner than the other ones. 
and you've got to get it, and you're just going to get in that hamster wheel, and you'll just start running and running and running. And you'll find yourselves saying like Solomon, this is meaningless. And what is our marriage built on? It's built on getting stuff. And I encourage them, you guys need to think about how you want to give of yourselves to others, to a work that God would have for you, whatever that work is. And instead of like Solomon, accumulating riches and building houses for yourself, see what you can do to give to others. As I was doing this, I, I was thinking, how can we make this a tangible reality? Because we all need to be purged of this in some way. And I was thinking of our closets. And so I didn't really tell anyone about this, so we'll see how it goes. Um, I think this next week we should do a little purging. We should clean out our closets. And let's start off painless. Get rid of the clothes that are too big for you because you've lost the weight and you're not going to go back. <laughs> and then if you haven't worn something in a year, good chance you're not going to wear it. And, and don't get rid of the junk. You know, that shirt that has the, the stain on it. Oh yeah, here, let's get rid of this because I'm not going to wear it. It's got to cost you something. But there are things in your closet that are just that excess. I would bet you, in each of us here, we've got stuff that we aren't going to wear, we don't need. As I was thinking this, I was thinking, how many sweatshirts and jackets do I have? I've, I've got more than I need. And so, why don't we do this? Why don't we make this, this kind of purging? Next week, bring and bag, tag and bag all your clothes that you're going to just purge, that you see as this is excess. And bring them here, and we'll find a place for them. I'm not going to be here next week, so I'll have to work this out. <laughs> But if I get someone to take them down to the building Monday, I'll, I'll take them, or Monday I can take them down to Salvation Army. We'll talk about where we're going to have them. Um, next week, Scott Burbank's going to be teaching here. Um, I encourage you guys to be here for that. He did the Strength Finders. I think you'll enjoy him. But let's make this purging. Bring your bags here, and what we'll do, Alex, Gill, and all you people who are in charge, we're just going to make an altar of bags right here next week of all the stuff that is just excess. And we are going to recognize what Solomon didn't. That it's not about having more that satisfies our lives. It's not what we get, but it really is what we can give. And that we are able to invest in things that are a lot further than ourselves. And so all the clothes that you are going to purge, this is your choice, okay? I'm not telling you what to purge, what to get rid of. You have to make the choice. You have to decide, and that's something that I want you to wrestle out 
with God. If you look at those shoes and you say, I've got 30 pairs of shoes. Now, I don't, okay? But some of you might, okay? Ladies. Um, I'm not telling you you should only have 27 pair. I'm telling you to look at that and say, is this excess? Do I need to get rid of some of this? Am I trying to hold on to stuff? Is there some of this that could be better used for someone else? Those jeans, okay, I can't wear these. I haven't worn them in four years. I will never be that size again. <laughs> Give up the dream. <laughs> I, I'm going to take those and I'm just going to, give them away. If I do get down to that size again, I'll, I'll buy another pair. But I just need to clear some of this stuff out. And I just need to see maybe if this stuff is holding me. And, and now I'm taking something simple that we can kind of do together, but there are other things in your life. There, there are, some of you have other things that maybe you would want to step further into in purging. Things that you look at and say, this is too much. You know, that's between you and God. We're, we're not making collections. I don't want you to bring, you know, your extra boat down here. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> but there are some of you just saying, you know what, I've got this, and why? Why? And maybe it's time for me to just get rid of some of these things and invest in others and not just myself. Think we can do that for next week? You guys up for that? Okay. And we're just together kind of as a community going to purge ourselves in this little bit just so that we cannot be the, the children of Solomon and not go into this meaningless place. Let's pray together. God, I do ask, Lord, that you would help us to see the truth of ourselves and how we can be such consumers, God. And this consumption has no end. We are always hungry for more and we are never satisfied and we are always desiring to get to that next step, to get that better, whatever it is. We are not satisfied. And even as Solomon wrote, that death and destruction are, are never satisfied and neither are our eyes. That we are constantly just feeding the machine and it's never satisfied. Lord, help us to get off the wheel and to say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to live this way. I'm not going to live as the pagans do, trying to get more things not recognizing that, God, you have purpose for my life and you want to use my life not just to give me things, but that I can then be an instrument to give to others. And Lord, that I would invest in those things that are lasting where moths don't eat and where rust doesn't corrupt and can't tarnish or thieves can't steal that I would invest in those heavenly things that have lasting value. God, we just need to wake up. and We need to say, enough. I am not going to join this rat race. I am not going to live 
for the stuff. Show us what it means to live for you. Show us what it means to not be pagans, but to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. And Lord, trust that you're going to take care of what's necessary in our lives. And we can use what we have for your purposes, Lord, that all that we are and all that we have would be an offering to you that would be pleasing to you. Lord, we'd be free from the material, from the things that would weigh us down. We would not allow those things to hold us, but we would hold those things and use them wisely. And even in this week of just purging, Lord, I pray this would be done willingly, Lord, that this isn't something I'm pressuring people to do. No one's going to take names or tabs or see how many bags they bring in. Lord, this is something within our hearts, between us and you, as we look at the small slice of our lives, Lord, just our closets, and we say, look at this. Is this a picture of my life? And if it is, let us clean out those things that we don't need. Let us get rid of what we're holding on to and, and reasons why we're holding on to. Lord, let's allow this life that you have given us to be evident in every area of our lives. For we ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.